What's up, guys? This week on the Shark Pod, we've got David Scanlon. David Scanlon is the venture investment leader for the NDRC. Over the last few weeks, we've had a few people come on from the NDRC or with an NDRC background. People have gone through the accelerator there. We thought that we'd reach out to somebody there and really try to get a proper insight into early stage investing, all things startup um, what what makes a good idea what makes an, an investable idea um and we had a great chat here with david today we also talked about sea swimming we also talked about all types of uh all types of adventures that david has had in the uh, investment game um so without further ado i'm going to kick it over to the guys in studio welcome to the shark pod the podcast that explores business and lifestyle design in ireland and beyond and now, live from Greystone Studios, here are your hosts, Luke Curry and Mark Baker. What is up, Shark Nation? Welcome to another uh, Shark Pod here, um, live from Greystone Studios. Mark, as usual these days, is out there in Glenageary. How are you doing, Mark? Good, good. Good, good to be good. here, Luke. Yeah, great, great. Uh, we've got our we've got our guest, our shark for the week is David Scanlon, uh, venture investment leader at the NDRC. How are you doing there, David? Yeah, not too bad, guys. Good to be here from the uh, from the north side of the city, broadcasting live from uh, lovely Malahide. Ah, I love Malahide. It's like it's like a like a upside down world for Greystones. It's almost like the same, like about as yeah. far from the thing. Okay, about as far out exactly. Yeah, yeah. perfect. Love it out there. Um, beautiful place to be especially this time of year i i always think malahide feels a bit like uh kind of new england almost kind of autumny do you like it right um yeah yeah so love that love that um Tell so, you what, the, the, uh, the the water felt autumnal this morning that's for sure were um, you, so were you in the water yeah i was in for a swim this morning oh wow good was it way because I was down the sea for myself in Greystones and the, the waves were huge there's loads of people playing in them and stuff like that but uh what was it like out there was it the same Ah, uh, look, uh, for, for someone who grew up, like I learned to swim um, in Lynch, uh, where, where, where sort of West Flair is where I'm originally from. And okay. um, I think, you know, comparisons from the East Coast, big swell, um, yeah. to someone who grew up in Lynch, is, it's really, it's really not, not, not anything <laughs> at all. Uh, no, there was, there was, I don't know, half a foot uh, of shop on the beach this morning. It really wasn't anything to trouble you. Okay, so not the West of Ireland, Atlantic swells or anything like that. Okay, cool. <laughs> so uh, today we really wanted to have a chat with you because over the last... I don't know. What do you think, Mark? Over the last kind of six weeks, we've had a good few people on the the podcast that have been involved with the the NDRC um, in the accelerator program there. And to be honest, I, we didn't really know too much about it. We don't really know how accelerator programs work and stuff like that. Loads of our uh, listeners are entrepreneurs, people who want to start businesses, salespeople, all that type of stuff. And um, so I think it would be great to have a chat about how that type of system works. Um, kind of generally yeah. and definitely you know, have a chat about the NDRC and uh, uh, kind of the ex- successes that have been there. Um, there was, hey Mark Baker, there was one thing that uh, that I thought was funny that I was reading about the NDRC this morning. Um, one of the founding, uh, or the you know the people who started it was um, IADT, the place I went to college. Um, oh, okay. And uh, no one ever mentioned it there and I was in a, uh, <laughs> I was in, I was in a business and entrepreneurship and it never came up in four years. So, I mean, let's. I'm going to get on to uh, Connor Hegney about that. Shout out to Connor. I know he listens to this uh, sometimes. Uh, he's run the program out there. But anyway, um, so what, David, would you mind like telling the people that are listening, maybe give them just like, like a quick uh, kind of summary of what the NDRC does um, and how it can you know help entrepreneurs and people who are starting out? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Luke. Um, so. It, 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 it can be quite confusing, right? It can be very confusing for an early stage entrepreneur to understand what the supports available to, to them are. Um, and there has been phrases like business incubator, enterprise center, uh, you know, uh, accelerator used interchangeably um, in, in, in the startup ecosystem here for, for many years. Um, and, 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 and it really can be quite interchangeable and people can get quite lost. Um, so I suppose what we would see is, you know, we, we we're, our mission is around. Well, I suppose it was initially around a market failure, right? There is there is a problem with the volume of tech entrepreneurs who have developed the skills and validated their businesses enough to a point where they can go on and they can raise growth capital, what people would typically call seed funding. 
Um, so the government uh, uh, had decided that this was an issue, that there wasn't this flow of deals coming through, um, but also there was this gap of skills. Uh, so there was a, a digital entrepreneurship skill gap. Um, and they decided that they needed to do something about that. So, uh, you know, the, the NDRC's mission was born from that sort of initiative by the government to say that we need to do something in this space. The sector needs to be improved in some way. Um, and, 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 and that was the initial way that we were born. I mean, like, if you think about what we do as a group, we give a small amount of capital. Um, so this is, you know, direct financial support. Um, and, and that has ranged over the years, but kind of like typically in the sort of like the 50K euro sort of sort of space. Um, yeah. We take a small bit of equity in the company in exchange for that. Um, and then we bring a tremendous amount of human capital and experience to bear on a, an early stage startup who has not yet achieved product market fit and has not yet validated the market enough for a seed stage entrepreneur, or sorry, seed stage investor to come along and provide the growth capital. So probably there's loads of stuff in there probably to unpack, right? But typically what you've got is you've got an entrepreneur who will come to, to, to somebody like NDRC and say, I think I see a problem. I think I see a problem with some customers. They're struggling. And you're either coming at that because you've got some, you know, really strong commercial background or you've got some interesting technology and you, you know that at some point in the future of that company, you're going to need to get access to venture investment, right? So that's like, you know, going to a seed VC or whatever. Um, you, you, you've had people like that on the podcast in, in, in the past. And what you need to show is you need to show that you have de-risked your business enough for an investor to be willing to put money into the business, but you also want to be able to de-risk it enough so that you've built up enough value so that you're not going to be completely fleeced by those investors. Now, accelerators aren't, uh, and, and you know, there, there isn't, a, you know, it's not compulsory. It's not a compulsory step in the growth of, 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 of a scaling company. Lots of entrepreneurs who are smart people figure out the steps that they need to do to de-risk the business before they die so that they can go and that they can raise investment. What we say with, with, with an accelerator model is we just make that happen faster. We would identify the key risks. We will de-risk them as much as we can with the small amount of capital that we have in the short period of time and be able to build up enough value and build up enough validation for an investor to punt uh, and, 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 and I suppose invest in at, at the seed stage. Or, and this happens quite frequently as well, we completely invalidate the business model. We go through by identifying the risks and say, this would be a killer risk if you don't de-risk it. And then we realize, well, actually, you can't de-risk this. This has now actually killed your opportunity. Um, Nice. And then you get you get lots of other path pathways after that. But it's really it's a speeding up of that process. And and I suppose for me, the biggest thing that, that you want an entrepreneur to have at the end of, of, of the process is confidence. It's confidence that they're they've done enough to to genuinely validate the opportunity so that they can make a decision then. Do I go and look for scale capital or do I call it quits and go and get a job? So that's kind of what we do. Um, now, look, there's, there's obviously there's loads more in there, but that's that's probably the, 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 the bones of it. No, I think that's a really good, uh, really good explanation there. Um, so the yeah, one of the one of the biggest things I think that this might be addressing, like I said, is the gap between like idea and being something that you can actually invest in. Uh, for example, I have a, a friend who is, you know, has a has an incredible idea uh, for a piece of software. Um, has the distribution kind of channel in mind that would be a good that w would most likely be a good fit for this um, there's a there's a target market there that isn't infinite but it's it is quite like it's quite big but his his problem right now is he's you know he's talking to companies in India about building some sort of like a very basic mm. version of it uh, but it's still going to cost mm. 20 grand because it's a uh, because of the technology that's needed to you know put that in place so he doesn't know if it's like he doesn't have a lot of uh, experience doing this in the past so he doesn't know how to de-risk this he doesn't know um, yeah. and and what you know I'm encouraging him because I think it's a good idea but I don't really have the background to, to do that do you like know it so yeah Ooh, it's really interesting. <clears throat> I, 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 just, just, just to come in there, I mean, like you've identified so many, like there's so many entrepreneurs would come to, to, to an early stage accelerator in that sort of a scenario. And, and the problem is humans kind of suck at, at, at spotting 
the assumptions that they have about about an idea, right? So he's going to have a whole bunch of biases and assumptions there. Um, and and I suppose what an accelerator does, and it's it's the people who work there, right? So it's the people who have the the, the experience and the capability to say, look, you, you, you need some accountability here. You need to be able to stack your assumptions side by side and have somebody else with the discipline and the rigor to say, this one is clearly a bigger fundamental risk to your business. And what we need to do is design an experiment so that we can learn as much as we can before we take any 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 steps to go forward. And that's going to, like, typically what you're going to find is like, it's the bit of the opportunity, it's the bit of the business model that the entrepreneur is least comfortable in, you know, because what, what entrepreneurs will tend to do is they'll tend to stay in the comfort zone and they'll, you know, they'll, they'll think about the features, they'll think about the distribution channel, um, but maybe they won't think about, you know, that fundamental question, does anybody actually give a shit about what I'm trying to build here, you know, and, and in, in, in a way that's meaningful and in a way that I can prove. So that's, you know, that's a huge part of what we would do in the accelerator is, okay, look, you've validated something or you've partially validated bits and pieces, but let's, let's put all of the assumptions that you've got down on paper and side by side, look at them and say, which of these can kill me the quickest? And what can I do? faster than anybody else to invalidate or validate whether or not this is actually a fatal risk. Um, and I love it. <laughs> it is, it is, it is the most satisfying work to be involved in because you get to be really creative and you get to be really, uh, involved and impactful with the founder because you're, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're coaching them through what is a very difficult time because you're pushing them to go to a place and to say, Jesus, is my baby the ugliest thing in the world? Um, you know, uh, you know, I really have to ask questions about this baby. You know, does anybody want it? And and that's not an easy place for people to be. So you get this lovely mix of you know being creative, thinking about solutions, thinking about ways that you can learn with the entrepreneur, but then also bringing them through this, which is quite honestly a really vulnerable time for them. Uh, so yeah, Absolutely. sorry, I. I I, I, I do. I do. I do enjoy talking about my work. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, and they, sorry, Luke. They, they, most of the companies are obviously going to be. They're all tech-based companies. Um, uh, what backgrounds do people have? To, like, what's some of the backgrounds that some of the maybe successes or, or even people that uh, completed the the program? What what kind of backgrounds do the individuals have? Just out of interest. Yes, good question. Um, I'm. You know. I'm. Probably more than half of the entrepreneurs that we've invested in have no technical skill set themselves, um, and 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 that poses problems for sure. Um, but I suppose the way I would look at it, and, and I suppose it's important to remember as well that every every you know early stage investor and every investor at, at, at every point in the scale is going to have their own preferences um, and and their own red flags. Um, I, you know, I, I'd be of the opinion that I, if you don't have a deep understanding of your customer or the industry that you're coming from, and you've got either some unfair competitive advantage coming from your commercial experience, it doesn't matter how much technology skills that you have, um, because you're not going to eventually win on the strength of your technology. In most cases, unless unless you're building something like fundamentally new in the technology stack, you know, like a, like a new way to deliver encryption over mobile or something, I have no idea, right? Or a new way of encoding video that makes it 10x better than anything else that somebody else is doing and that 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 those things happen but they're they're, they're less common but you know generally if you're thinking about a business model innovation just you know a better way of doing something you're not going to win just because your technology can do something that your competitors can't because you're just competing on features at that point um and you can buy in the necessary technology skills to deliver really really ugly versions of the product in the early stages and I suppose, you know, m m my thesis on it is like, if you if you found a customer who is crazy, delusional is the word that I use with the problem, they don't care how bad the solution is, as long as it's like, it's mostly fine, it's mostly working. Um, you know, so I guess you can bring in the technology expertise, but you can't substitute in the commercial know-how and the deep understanding of the customer, right? It's that insight into the customer's experience um, that's missing. So, yeah, I mean, look, we, 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 we certainly see entrepreneurs from, from, from multiple backgrounds, but for me, you know, a tech 
only team coming to me without any commercial understanding, that's like a solution looking for a problem to solve. And that's, that, that definitely raises red flags. Is there any like characteristics or skill sets that you look for and um, that accelerators look for in, a, in an entrepreneur or a business? Yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, for, like, like, when, we, when you go through that process, I think that the, you know, the, 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 the one truism that you've got when, you know, when you're an early stage entrepreneur is that what you think your business is going to be doing and what it's going to look like in terms of the value it creates is probably wrong, right? You're, you're, you're going to have to live with change as you meet your customers and you think about the problem that they're, they're experiencing and you change your solution and you adapt and you deliver value to them in new ways, right? So um, a founder who comes to an early stage investor who is absolute in their, in their belief of how something is going to be is, is a massive red flag if, because, because they're, they're, they're probably so locked in on their own self-belief that they just can't see how brittle the assumptions that they're standing on are. So they're going to cope poorly when they go out to customers and, and, and they're probably going to have like this reality distortion field, which, you know, they, they'll go like, because we'll say, hey, did you go and talk to customers? And they'll come back and say, yeah, absolutely. It was amazing. They told me that I was the most amazing founder in the world and I should just go and build the thing that I wanted to build anyway. And we're like, really? That's how that conversation went in your head? You know, because uh, you know, that's, that's unlikely to ever actually happen. You know, that's, that's a pretty big claim to make. We'd need to see some pretty big evidence in favor of something like that actually happen. So that's a massive flag for me. It's like if you if you cannot acknowledge as an entrepreneur that you're probably wrong at some point in the assumptions that you've got about how the business is going to be, um, and you're not demonstrating a growth mindset, right? So if you're just if you're just fixed mindset and you just absolutely believe it has to be a certain way, like that's just you're just that's a world of hurt, you know. That's and and you see those founders, right? You know they're like. God, there's founders who are going around the place now five years after I first started working in, in the sort of the pre-seed space and they're still banging the same drum, you know, and they wonder why nobody believes them and, 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 and nobody will invest in their business and they haven't shifted at all. You're like, God, that's just, that's terrible. And we try, we try to put people like that out of their misery, to be honest, you know, it's like, really, you should just go and get a job because this isn't going to happen. It's, that's, I love that as well because you can, uh, you, you can do something for years or you're you're losing the you're losing the the kind of opportunity cost of being working in maybe that same space uh in a, a company that's up and running and you could be able yeah. to see an angle there that you don't see from where you're standing you know from inside that industry or whatever so by taking four years or whatever like i said banging the drum um you're, you're kind of missing out there on uh yeah. <laughs> you're, you're not speeding up the the process you know not at all. You're not learning, right? Like, and that, that's the biggest thing for me. It's just like, what can we learn? What can we learn as fast as we possibly can that gives us an unfair advantage? And then, and then you decide, well, is that actually any use? You know, and that's a different kind of conversation. It's like we've, we've, we've discovered something interesting here. And then we make a decision about whether or not that's relevant. And then you can decide what kind of business you can build on top of it. But, you know, it's an honest conversation rather than just kind of like never wanting to shift and just waiting for, I don't know the miracle to happen where somebody drops a you know a chunk of chunk of cash on your lap. It's interesting. So, what would you what would you say would be like the the, ty- the types of companies that you guys are looking to invest in or have helped in the past? Are they like really really big thinkers? Is that the the goal to you know have a thousand employees one day, or is there do you guys kind of handle more niche businesses that? you know, can be really pro- profitable, but not in a, they're never going to be a, a Facebook or, you know, equivalent, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, from, from, from this was the NDRC's perspective over the last couple of years has been, we're interested in building companies with the entrepreneurs that are, are going to be suitable to raise multiple rounds of venture investment okay. and would, you know, that, 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 that a VC will look at as an opportunity to return their fund, right? We're like that's, that's the goal. We want to be able to build a company that a VC can, you know, can exit 10 X on and, and uh, you know, absolutely scales to well, not a thousand employees, but you know, yeah. tens, if not hundreds of millions of euros in revenue annually, that's the goal. And, and, and if that's not the ambition of the founder, or the founding team, 
um, that's something that we will filter on pretty early. And and this isn't a value judgment. You know, this isn't this is absolutely not saying that there are businesses that will never take on um, you know venture capital and and will do extraordinarily well. Um, whatever that means, whatever that means for the founder, and that could be one person doing extremely well for themselves for the next 20 years, or it could be somebody building a business that's 100, 200, 300 staff. Um, we have a very specific focus. And as I said, it's not a value-based judgment. And it's just based on, um, I suppose, the, the mission of, of the fund. Um, but also, it's kind of aligned with the skill sets of the, of the team. You know, So our focus and our experience has been on building teams that are going to be attractive to venture capital to grow um so we we we, we, we the ambition piece of that is the important piece you know and and you, you mentioned this is like you know is it the big vision of the entrepreneur that's important as well but it's the personal ambition you know um i remember i remember working with a team uh it was one of the accelerators that i ran in oman um in in, in the middle east um and early in the program we invalidated the idea that they had pitched with, right? So the three guys came in, pitched an idea, and within about a week, we had figured out with them that the idea was a complete disaster, right? It was going to go nowhere at all. Um, and that was really good, right? That was really powerful. And, and, and you know, then you kind of figure out, well, what do you want to do? So we, we kind of set the guys an ideation challenge for a couple of weeks. Like, what could their skill set and their expertise and their interests bring them to in terms of a problem? Um, and... The guys set, it was really interesting, they set an ambition threshold on the business, which was a private jet each okay. at the end of, at, at, you know, at exit. It's very right? Middle, so, Middle Eastern yeah. thinking. I like it. Can I, can I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is, they, 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 yeah. It's a different, it's a different kind of scale out there, I suppose. Yeah. I like uh, yeah but like, so they would look at an opportunity and they would, you know, they'd, they'd run the numbers and they'd pump it into the Excel and they'd come to the end of it and go, you know what, that's only going to buy us one private jet. We'd have to split it three ways, and that would be a disaster, you know. Um, so it was like a private jet each. That was the level of ambition that they had. And it was like it was funny in one sense, but it was actually, it was really methodical, and it was really rational. Um, and the three of them were 100% aligned on that ambition. And it meant that they were they would very quickly move through, um, through ideas that were presented to them. I, I love that idea we were talking about this just the other day i think it was a couple of days ago we had somebody else on the on the podcast um uh, neil from new york who had reached out to us who found us on youtube one day and kind of uh, watched a lot of our uh our, our videos uh one of the few people that are watching on youtube at any stage but um uh he was he had kind of a you know a, a really great career on kind of wall street that type of thing um but he he's you know doing a startup now he's he's got this uh product and we'll talk about that uh on our podcast there but he had this really we asked him at the end kind of like how much money is enough money and he had the most mm. compelling future in his mind so clear uh for what the money's going to purchase for his family that i wow. we, we could see why he was uh, so excited about this product remember that mark he was saying like i want my kind of great grandkids to be sitting at uh sitting in this mansion in uh, having having um, uh thanksgiving dinner and have my picture on the wall and like kind of like raise a toast to me and all that type of stuff and i'm like this is and i then for, and I then forget about for. them for for a year and then they do it every year yeah you know and I, generational yeah. wealth is what is how he described it and it just it, like it was such a clear vision that i was saying if, say if i was an employee of his or something i'm like yeah it seems like something i can get behind you know <laughs> even if it seemed uh a long way off but i like the i like the that stuff as well um so yeah. were you kind of doing uh were you in oman for a while or what was, was there a similar type of thing that you're doing over there yeah so there was, there was an, an opportunity came up um for the uh for, for ndrc we were we were introduced to um this probably the sovereign wealth fund so like it, it it's it's a funny place oman it, you know it, it's it's a it's run by the sultan um okay sultan kabus at the time he he passed passed away uh, late last year but you know it, it's a uh, it's a place where there is a lot of wealth um you know and they have this massive sovereign wealth fund and but they're they're massively over dependent on the sort of the natural resources industry right so natural gas is a big thing for them um and and like many countries in the region you know can see this like event horizon right coming at them in this cliff where you know nobody wants to buy natural gas anymore and what the, 
what do you do? Yeah. So they were they were doing a lot to try and educate and diversify the the this was the the economy down there and and we're trying to develop not dissimilar to what the Irish government did at like 15 years ago here. You know, how can we how can we build up this pool of talented entrepreneurs? Um and they had they had a seed fund and they had um they had brought in some international partners. They brought in 500 startups to do some of the seed activity. Um and but they were really struggling pre-seed pre-seed ecosystem piece was difficult for them. Um so we got introduced through um Atlantic Bridge um and we engaged with them to run three of their programs down there. So it was an unusual one for us because like one of the things that differentiates you know a program like NDRC, like our our, our accelerator programs, is that and, and when I say differentiates, differentiates it from lots of the sort of like startup education activity that's out there. So there's a, you know there's a tremendous amount of courses that you can take and programs you can join and mentorship and all that kind of good stuff. And it's really important. The the difference with uh, an investing accelerator is that we have skin in the game as 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 the investor. You know we have we have an interest in the business doing well that is separated from the entrepreneur learning something, you know, so there, 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 there's, a, there's a fundamental change in the relationship and it actually makes the relationship kind of complicated, but I might talk about that again. But uh, for, so for, for the Oman example, um, we didn't pick the teams, so we weren't involved in, in, in the sourcing activity. We had a little bit of influence in terms of, you know, well, this is clearly a terrible idea or this is clearly a good idea, but, yeah. you know, by and large, we were going in to do the acceleration and 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 to do the the uh, the development and the coaching bits and pieces like that. So uh, yeah, so I was down there for three programs. But typically, a program is about uh, three months. Okay. Um. Uh. And and I kind of did that over the course of about a year and a half. Um. And I this was, I didn't I didn't I, I moved down for I think it was ten weeks for the first program. So that was a continuous period. And then for the second two programs, I did two weeks there two weeks here so kind of over and back for for about a year uh, so lots of lots of flights unfortunately so that wasn't the most environmentally friendly period of my life because no. i'm actually I'm, I'm doing business for the first time this year in dubai i've got a partner there and i'm selling to that that region um and it's so interesting i've come across all different types of companies that i i never really sold to before i'm kind of finding my feet there to a certain extent um just out of interest do you with the types of companies that they were developing, were they quite similar in the way they were thinking about problems as the guys in NDRC, or were they coming at this from a completely different angle? Were they, you know, or was the business ideas kind of the same uh, type of thing that they were doing? Was there much differences there? Or? There were some differences. Yeah, I mean, like there was some bits. There were some pieces of it where you know, you're kind of going, right, like this is quite clearly a clone of, you know, pick uh, any Silicon Valley company and you're the first to do it in country. Yeah. And that is a that is an absolutely valid business model, right? I mean, you can, you can point to people like Paul Kenny, um, the, the Irish entrepreneur who was in Dubai, and he was the first to launch um, something that looked like, um, uh, like a Groupon. Uh, so nobody had done anything like a Groupon when Paul launched Kaboom in Dubai, um, and that's a great story, you know. Uh, his 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 experiences um, building up that. I think he had like two million users on it at the end, so yeah. like, it was a real success. So there's there's definitely there's an approach in the region where it's just like copy something that has worked in San Francisco and see if it make it work in 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 you know in Dubai or in in Riyadh or wherever it happens to be. And the plan there is you just get acquired, right? I mean, so Amazon have bought the local competitor out there that was doing some retail stuff. Um, Uber have bought Kareem, which is, you know, again, it was just Uber for the Middle East. You know, so there's there's, there's a really valid pathway there um, for, for, for local entrepreneurs. And then there's the batshit crazy stuff where I, I would come in and I'd look at the, this, this, a business and go, you're out of your mind. What, what on earth is this business? In, in, you know, I'm thinking, thinking myself like, you know, super smug and superior kind of going, you fool, this will never work. You know? yeah. <laughs> what are you even trying to do? You know, um, and then you, you then you realize that the fundamentals of, you know, in some ways how society works, in some ways how the local industry has been built and is structured and how the distribution works are just so very different from what turns out to be my very limited and very Western <laughs> white male experience of looking at something and I'm like, oh, right, okay, that's that's something I never knew. So it was wonderful because, you know, 
I, you know, I was getting this exposure to, 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 to all of these new different ways of thinking, but it was also a really nice dose of reality that said, what you actually understand is super limited. And, and there are so many different ways and uh, approaches to doing things that you just have to be learning. So that was, it was, it was lovely for me on a personal level to kind of go, you don't know shit. And, and, and these people uh, have, have genuine insight into how something works in, in, in an area that you don't understand. Um, I can give an example, right? So there was a company down there and they were doing, uh, they, they were called Telepay and they were, they were, they, they had built this system where you could buy um, top up vouchers uh, for mobile phones in, 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 in retail stores, right? So you'd buy like, you know, five, uh, I can't remember what the, the currency was down, but this is called it dollars, five dollars worth of credit for your, your, your mobile. And then they would transfer that to a digital wallet. And then you, you could use that digital wallet for online payments to buy like shoes or whatever it happened to be. Cool. And I was like, guys, well, what on earth is this? Like, what are you doing? Why, why, why are you making people go through these ridiculous steps? Like, you know, cash into a store, transfer it to wallet, find the retailer. I was like, this is mental. And then they said, you know, the reality of life in Oman is that I think at the time it was maybe 15% of online transactions went through cards and 85% was cash on delivery. And, and, and there was this fundamental societal distrust of using credit cards online. And the overheads for the retailers are nuts, right? Because they've got cash in transit and they've got returns and, oh, it's just such a mess. You've got drivers, you know, arguing about change on the doorstep because someone, you know, said the price of the bag was different. It's just madness. So any small improvement there for the banks and the telcos uh, and that they, they can get involved in being part of that network is a huge step forward. So it was actually a really, really smart play. Um, and, you know, I would have looked at that, like if someone had pitched that to me in Dublin, you know, I'd still be laughing about it now, like, you know, even you, you know, this is clearly stupid. So it's when you, you kind of get that, that local understanding of, of how an industry works or how an ecosystem works. It's that lovely light that goes on. It's such a coincidence that you were talking about that because I was actually, um, I was dealing with a business out there as well. And I had never, so there was an e-commerce business that was, and there was, so I was showing them HubSpot, HubSpot does marketing and sales, you know, in a traditional Western sense, you know, um, where we assume that all of your e-commerce uh, payments will be online. You know, it's just an assumption that we make. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we were talking to these guys and they said something, whatever, 80, 90% of our, our business is going to be, is cash on demand. So we send our drivers out to yeah. the desert to, to get, get cash. And I was like, <laughs> I can't, what? And I, I, how do you get this cash back to the headquarters? And they're like, oh yeah, we've got this whole thing where we've got partners who go out and collect the cash, they deposit it in there, yeah. wire transfer over. So we don't even know if we get the money for something like 30 days or how much of it's going to be paid. And I was like, oh my, I can't believe that this business exists. Like, And um, they they thought it was strange that I was so surprised. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're like, "What do you mean?" Like, but you know what? Like those those moments are so refreshing. I find like when you just you know somebody shines a light on all these assumptions that you have, and you're like, "Huh, wow, look how wrong I was." It's uh, it's it's crazy. But it's like I said, it's, it's good. It's all a uh, learning experience, and it's uh, it's kind of fun as well. But um, okay, so it might be it might be fun to do maybe like a playbook or something for those people who are listening who are. I think there's going to be a lot of people listening out there who are in the in in the kind of gap between I've got a good idea, good industry, know how, okay. and stuff like that. How do you how do you what's the the steps to get investment in the end? In your opinion, would you say what would be the steps involved? Okay, so we're going to assume that this is like you know uh, it's 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 an idea in a business that that it's so, that is on a track to raise you know significant venture capital down the road, right? This isn't just you need a bit of seed funding to to you know to get you started. It's not like family and friends cash you're looking for, right? You're you're looking to to validate something that is going to to, to be venture capital friendly. Um, I, for me, it comes down to, to 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 what you're going to be able to compete on, right? Um, you're not going to be able to compete with your your technology the technological competitors on their tech right like if you think that your tech is going to beat apple's engineers or ibm's engineers or amazon's engineers at some point in the future forget about it right you're almost certainly not going to be able to compete right? they'll win if you think you're going to be able to compete because you've got some um you know you've got you're going to put ads on google or you know ads on on instagram and you're going to outspend your competitors forget it you're going to lose there as well right so for me it comes down to 
what's the only thing that you can get an unfair insight into which the customer behavior right and and what i would be focused on if it was me at this point and i was looking to raise some funding is i would be looking to get a really narrow view of a customer and and a narrow and like very specific segment and cohort of customers and be able to show behavior that everybody else thinks is counterintuitive. That's the thing that I suppose that I'm, you know, that, 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 that makes my eyes light up when, I, when an entrepreneur comes to me and they describe a customer that I'm probably familiar with, right? So they can say, look, you probably can imagine a customer that looks like X, Y, Z, and then they do these things. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Everybody knows that that's what happens in that industry. And then an entrepreneur who says, yeah, but I did this test. And it turns out that there's this segment of that customer's and they're doing this really strange thing because they have a problem that nobody else understands. And that's when an, an investor, you, I, like, and I, I, can, I, can, you know, I can recall multiple times when an entrepreneur pitches to like a panel of investors to, you know, to get access to the NDRC. And that's the bit that everybody leans forward. It's like, oh, that's surprising. I never expected you to say that about that particular type of customer. Um, and that's something that nobody else knows. And, you know, does that mean that it's a business that you can, you're can you going to scale? Not yet, but it's definitely a good place to start. It's a better place to start than coming in and telling me something obvious, like people are going to use smartphones more in the next couple of years, or video is going to become, you know, the next big thing in, in digital communications. I'm like, I don't give a shit. But what's something super interesting and counterintuitive that you as an entrepreneur have discovered because you did a test? That's interesting. And the test can be anything right you, you, you know you, you think back to some of these big classic examples of you know uh, tech entrepreneurs who tested in a really unusual way and you look at the dropbox example you look at um zappos example um and and you know you can just you get some signal that your confidence shows that there's a cohort of customers that need a solution that somebody else didn't know about that's the very best place to start. And then, and then there's loads of ways that you can figure out if you can build a scalable business on the back of that. Like, you know, you make assumptions about the go-to-market, you make assumptions about the unit economics and whether or not you can actually, you know, extract some reasonably good value from, from, from that, uh, that opportunity. But the very, very start of that is I've got a very discreet segment of customers that I understand something about and nobody else knows. And like, like I said, it could be anything. It could be a mailing list that people are signing up to and, you know, the open rates are through the roof or it could be, you know, the video versus podcast. Who knows guys? Yeah. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's unusual, unexpected behavior. And then we figure out whether or not that we can monetize as our American cousins would say. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's I, I really like that. Uh, the way of looking at that as, as we figure out some sort of un, unusual behavior that a, a cohort of customers are, are doing that. And we're like, why would they be doing that? You know, like, yeah. Uh, I worked in a, a startup in, in Canada for a couple of years and it was payment software. Um, and, you know, if you looked at, uh, so we, we thought the payment software was, was one thing, but then our customers were kind of using it in a completely different way and they were kind of like hacking other bits and pieces together yeah. to make it work, you know? And yeah. maybe there was something, a, a business that, a business opportunity for either the startup I was in or somebody else to have a look at that and say, well, maybe there's a piece that I can build for them because there's 50% of yes. our customers are manipulating the the, yeah. the product to make it suit. So is that what you're absolutely. talking about? I, absolutely. And, and, and I'll bring it back to um, to an earlier point that I made, which is around the sort of the fixed mindset. If, if you're the entrepreneur who has a very specific idea of the technology that you want to build, you won't be able to see that opportunity because you'd be like, I need you to buy this thing. Would you buy this if I built it? And they're like, yeah, but like I'm doing this mad shit over here. You wouldn't believe how hard it is for me to solve this problem. An entrepreneur who has either a very fixed idea about what it is that they, they need to build to be successful or even worse, has put their life savings into already building the tech they're not going to be able to see the opportunity that the customer is talking about this other problem over here because they've got this big heavy weight of the of the of the of the product in their head and they'll miss that and, and like to me that's a tragedy right i mean like, like i have very direct you know example of this i had an entrepreneur uh super experienced guy you know career in, in, in services 
and he had put 400 fucking thousand euros into his technology product. And then he couldn't find a customer for it because the customers were telling him that they couldn't use the product the way he built it. But he hadn't gone out to talk to them beforehand. And, and like nothing, like, and they were t- talking about really interesting things that were like, you know, millimeters adjacent to what he wanted to, to, to sell to them. And they were like, yeah, I know, but like, I've got this really interesting problem. And he's like, oh, yeah, but I can't fix that with my solution. So would you buy the solution because you've got this problem? And they're like, no, that's not really how this is going to work. Uh, and that's a tragedy, right? Jeez, the market can be very cruel. It's, it's right. It's, <laughs> it's uh, you're so close, but it's not there to be your friend. Luke. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, wow, that's interesting. So, was there any just out of interest as well? Like, was there any uh, like companies that you guys were investing in that you guys thought this was going to be a world beater, and then for some reason, it it kind of it never lived up to its potential. I'm sure that might have happened a few times as well. Oh God, yeah, Jesus, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like, and that's just natural, right? I mean, like, it's so risky. At this stage, at the stage that 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 NDRC invests in, right? So, like, you know, it's not uncommon to be investing in just um, a slide deck. Like, you know, yeah. that's it. It's the people and a slide deck because that's they're curious. They've got some ideas. They've got a little bit of validation, but they definitely don't have a product, and they absolutely don't have revenue. You, you know, so that's that's pretty risky. That's why I precede typically what you do is you invest in a cohort because. You know, you just have to try and mitigate the risk somehow. So you tend to just like, you, know, the you, you, you put smaller amounts of capital and distribute it further. It's interesting. Okay. And da- what- David, is there is there any that you, any, you probably can't be uh, too, you can't be overly biased towards one in particular, but is there any exciting startups that have come out recently that, you know, that excite you right now? Um. So uh, actually, I mean, like you, 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 you I kind of quickly back through your uh, through your archives. You, you, you picked out a couple of really interesting ones there um, from 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 our, our recent couple of cohorts. So you obviously had Danny on from from Animus, um, and, and 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 he's a superstar. Uh, we we're, we're all really excited about Danny. His team there is great. Michael, he wasn't. I don't think he had Michael on the podcast, but um, Danny and Michael and Claire Dillon, they're 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 really superstars. You know, they 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 really get the space and they're such great visionary thinkers um probably probably too much if danny's listening to this you know danny needs to turn down the vision sometimes um <laughs> but there's a there's a couple as well that i think you had connor on from um from from uh, connor sheridan yeah, yeah. previously of mad egg uh god connor connor was one of the most exciting and challenging entrepreneurs to work with um he really was uh, he was superb he's got some mind on him um actually and he won't. Uh, he laughs now. He hears me say this. I couldn't ever go one to one with Connor. I always had to ring back up, you know, because you know he, he, he'd be fifteen <laughs> steps ahead of you in a conversation, and you just need a time to kind of think about the next co- question, catch up with his thinking. So I'd always bring one of a colleague along so they could ask a question in the gap, you know, because he's just he's got such a mind. He's like a merc- mercurial thinker. Um, so I love the space that Connor is in, and he has just got such a great commercial understanding of the problem that he's fixing. Um, so that's, I think they're, they're about to rebrand actually. I don't know if you, if you talked about that when he was, uh, when he was on the show with you guys. Um, so it's not going to be called squeeze anymore, which is a good thing. Uh, it's kind of a stupid name. Um, <laughs> there was another team as well. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm only fo- I was focusing on the last 12 months because it's probably the ones that yeah. are freshest in my mind, but there was a great team on the Dublin program with us. Um, that started in March Um founder is a guy called Dave Carney. Um, not the rugby player. But he <laughs> has a, a product called Champions Mind. I don't know if you guys have come across it. Champions Mind. No, it rings a bell. Uh, this is, yeah, good. this is lovely. You guys should go check this out. Everybody should go check this out, right? So it 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 focuses on this newfound interest. Not even newfound. It's like it's something that's been in 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 the ether for a couple of years. It's the idea of mindfulness, like you know, sort of like you know, mental strength conditioning that the likes of Headspace and Cam and 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 lots of other players have been going after and it's a hugely successful business i mean like it's like you know i i i personally find it quite 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 uh, an important part of my schedule is is is, is getting some meditative practice and um, but a lot of people are, are are into this right but there's a cohort of customers for whom a gentle 10 minutes you know waves crashing on the beach meditative breathing exercise isn't going to work and that cohort of people is professional athletes right so if you know, there, there, there are people who are like, you know, 
my mind game is the most important part of the game for me. And I can see that mindfulness and meditative practice is a really useful way for me to understand my own mental strengths and weaknesses. But, you know, I can't do 10 minutes of gentle um, waves on the beach before I get onto the rugby pitch, right? Or go on and take to the basketball court because I'll be asleep, right? So what he has done is effectively taking the best of uh, the mind, the, the approach of the, 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 the headspace of the calm, that approach to meditative practice and, and that discipline of, 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 of building up, you know, into your routine. But then he's also, he's married that to, you know, the peak performance coaching expertise. So he actually, and I, I, maybe take a step back, right? So Dave Carney, serial tech entrepreneur, had built a previous business and then wanted to do something in the consumer space, identified that this was a problem and then just went and found the highest level, you know, uh, American college peak performance sports psychologist coach he could find and said, I want to build a business with you. So he found this guy uh, who had been peak performance coach for, I think it was the San Francisco Giants. Is that the baseball team in San Francisco? I think that's the baseball team. Whatever the baseball team. Yeah. yeah. So he was the peak performance coach for, this, for the San Francisco Giants, right? And he was, you know... Um, leading sports psychologist at the University of Arizona. He had coached like something like 19, you know, Olympic gold medal uh, athletes and, and, and gymnasts and stuff like that. And said, I want your mind. <laughs> I want, I want your know-how and expertise. And I'm going to build effectively something that looks like or a cam or a headspace for high performance athletes, either professional, semi-professional or aspiring professional athletes. And it is just the most beautiful, um, technical product I've seen in a long time and it is doing unbelievably well and it's interesting because lockdown and the pandemic has actually made this a crucial part of the toolkit for um, college coaches in the US because they're trying to do something for their athletes who are stuck at home and training by themselves and then they can just build this program of mental conditioning that is delivered by the um, by the Champions Mind app. It's it's absolutely brilliant, uh, and and I think he's going to do really well with it. It's, I think it's, it sounds like it's really really interesting, and again with the pandemic where people aren't you can't coach people in in, in person as much. I guess um, it's going to be yeah. even even bigger. That's really interesting. I love that idea. Let's try get him on the podcast. Yeah, maybe. Yes. Yeah, you should. I I can I can intro him in. He's a good guy. <laughs> um, like. It, it's a kind of a different approach to what we had been talking about uh the way you're trying to find kind of strange behavior of potential customers um and it's kind of like going to find the person who's the best at something yeah and then saying okay you're not really i i've got the way to monetize this or i've got the way to kind of get this to the most people um and kind of team it up that way so it's a you know there's different approaches there there is yeah but i suppose you know Dave could talk to Jim and Jim could go, here's all the crazy stuff that sports coaches do with their athletes. You know, it's, it's bonkers the way that, you know, mental, mental conditioning uh, is applied in college in the NCAA or whatever it is in the U S. So Jim had the insight into the user behavior there, which is the sports coaches who are struggling to be able to, you know, because they're, they're usually what happens with these sports coaches is they're one, you know, one, one, one chapter ahead of the team in psychology 101, right? And they're just doing their best to try and educate their, 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 their athletes. So they're desperate to find a way that helps them scale that, uh, that, 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 best, uh, that conditioning um, to, to, to their teams. So look, it still comes down to the insight into the user behavior. It was yeah. just this, this happy circumstance where Dave kind of thought this could be an interesting thing to do. What would be the first step? And the first step here is: can I find somebody who understands the space with me? So he's very methodical in his approach as well. So it, it, I, I still think it comes down to the, the, the fundamental: do you understand what your customer is trying to do? It's, it's. I'm, I'm excited now, Mark Baker. I want to get out there and fuck, figure something out here <laughs> and, uh, and get, get going. But um, do you know, time time flies here. We only got ten minutes left. Uh, usually, wow. uh, David, we uh, we usually try to keep it to about an hour. Um, but we also like to do kind of a lightning round at the end of the the podcast, just to pick our guest brain on on a few items. And it's been really good because it gets us to compare how different people think about different uh, subjects. Um, Mark usually kind of takes over here. It's the like the lightning round. We haven't we haven't really nailed down a, a way of just going to describe it, but um, I think that we'll. Kick I have it a off. question. I have a question actually. Before yeah. we do the lightning round, yeah, what's with the sh- what's with the shark? thing is oh. this like why 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 am i this week's shark and why is this the shark pod oh. 
if you okay, here's the here's the the real reason, and it has nothing to do <laughs> with uh, like when we first we, like people thought it might be like a shark, as in like some National Geographic style um, <laughs> a podcast where it was like deep, you know going into the shark, uh, you know science and stuff okay so a couple of years ago um i started a uh an ill-fated uh, recruitment business um and it was, okay. called, it was called shark recruitment um at, even at that time the shark thing had nothing to do with uh, recruitment or anything like that me and mark i can't really remember exactly what, what was happening there we were just we were looking at uh urls and shark.ie was uh was open so i bought shark.ie okay. for like two euro and i'm like <laughs> there's gotta be something we can do with this <laughs> and shark uh, and i just thought okay well you know it's a one word uh url you know i'm a big okay. fan of shark week all that type of stuff let's just get it and we'll we'll do something with it we tried to do a recruitment business it didn't uh didn't it didn't uh, take off so then i we just kept on renewing it and then we were going to start a, a shark. We we're going to start a, a podcast last Christmas, um, and I just said we've got Shark Why don't we call it the Shark Pod? And then Mark's like, "That sounds like we're kind of piggybacking on the the Shark Tank in America, the kind of yeah, sh- yeah, Shark yeah. in a Suit type thing." But um, so we yeah. built it around the the URL essentially. Essentially, yeah. <laughs> Keep so we, moving forward. That kind of motto. And we've really taken oh, it too far uh, with the merch. That's terrible. Like, <laughs> so this, this, this is actually like oh, lots God. of little sharks that are swimming around but yeah we've got a we really we at the beginning you at the beginning we were way too heavy on the shark puns do you know what i mean um yeah. we're going to call it a shark's tail that might have been a part of the oh, <laughs> really? yeah it was luke really, likes that luke has a lot of ideas for uh new businesses based purely around puns yeah i don't know if yeah. that's, that's something that you see much david <laughs> Uh, it's probably not something that I'd invest in off the top of my head. Like, you know, it's like, I want to do this business. I have, I have a great one, right? Okay. I, I, I can't believe I'm going to share this one because you love this, Luke, right? If you, if, if, if pun businesses are your thing, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a bit of a fan now as well, right? So imagine a locksmith that's focused on the Dublin market. And what they do is they do unique house keys for uh for, for for your front door right okay so these are keys that are unlike anybody else's in their locks like anybody else's and you would call the business custom house keys okay yeah okay it's absolutely <laughs> and, terrible and that's a really good you know a good example of why no one would ever <laughs> want to invest in a business based on a I, I think it's really i think it's really good um so <laughs> another one another put, one put, put and we're not going to get any of the questions this one is better right so this okay. is Middle Eastern fast food for fans of the A team, and you'd call Very it specific. Pit of the Fool. Pit of the Fool. Pit of the Fool. It's brilliant. I, <laughs> I'm glad I'm not on this this uh, d- decision board for the NDRC. <laughs> I'd be like, what? And you sell pitas? Get in there. Go on, get in. We'll figure out the details <laughs> afterwards. That's what I'd be like. I don't know. I, I don't have too much off the top of my head now, but there's there's been a lot of a lot of uh, puns that were. Uh, that we're going through, but anyway, okay. Cool. I can't believe you had you had them too at the at the ready so easily, David. Yeah. I'm impressed. Uh, listen, listen, yeah. uh, they, they've been they've been brewing for a long time. To tell you that, Mark, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm just I'm just waiting for the, the Middle Eastern <laughs> you know uh, food market to take off in Dublin. I'm there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's like uh, okay. Right, I'll, I'll crack on with these. Right, nice and light at the start. Um, what apps do you use the most on your phone? Um, what apps? Um, so. I, 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 we, we talked about this at the very start of the, of, of the, uh, of the session. I, I, I swim, uh, open sea swim uh, year round. Um, so a combination of uh, the weather charts to check the sunrise because it's dark at the moment. Um, and the, uh, there's a great app called Tides Near Me. Um, and it just gives you local tide times and local tide heights to, to, to time the swim because there's, there's nothing worse than like scrambling over cold rocks in the dark. Yeah. I find in October. That's not fun. Yeah. So yeah, that's probably the one. So I'd use that just to kind of figure out the, the, the swim schedule for the week. Um, so tides near me and then AccuWeather for the, because um, AccuWeather does the sort of like daily sunrise and kind of give you a sense of, of, of brightness in the sky. Very good. Cool. Um, what's your favorite social media and why? Hmm. Um, probably just twitter at this stage to be honest and 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 probably just because i've been on it for so long so probably been tweeting for about 10 years um 
So there's a community there of people, you know, that sort of like the people who, uh, like, I, like I've been on Twitter and connected to a sort of like, you know, a blogging community in Dublin since there were things called tweet ups and tweet ups in Dublin in the sort of like the early noughties and mid noughties was literally just when everybody in Dublin who had a Twitter account met up in real life and talked to each other. And it was really strange because nice. uh, they had nothing in common other than that they were users of, 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 of that social network. But that community is still there. Uh, so it, it's kind of it's, it's lovely to be part of that still. Uh, and look, Twitter is a horrible place for the vast majority of the human population, as far as I can see. But um, I, I, there, there is still, a, you know, I, I still have a core community that, 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 that I would tap into. So, um, yeah, that's probably why. Nice. Cool. What the, we probably know the, the answer to this one already. What's the best business idea you've never acted upon? It's pit of the fill, isn't it? <laughs> Everyone wears gold chains in there, and uh, everyone's knocking on no plane. Oh, that's good. Right. So yeah. So it's either you have to knock it on no plane. Uh, so yeah, it's either going to be pit of the fool, or you know what? Like no one has launched a decent, um, you know, global dominating religion um, in 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 many a century, and so there's probably a gap in the market for that. Um, you could you could you know 100%. you could get product market fit and go viral pretty quickly with a new religion. I think so. Like um, people yeah, are there's... shouting out for a new religion. They're like, you know, yeah. it's there. There's nothing going on. That's a it's a big gap there. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Let's let's do it. What what time do you get up at in the morning, and what time do you go to sleep? Uh, so so if I'm swimming, uh, I usually so I've got three kids, so um, you know I tend to be out of the water and back, so that we can have breakfast together before they go to school. So depends, probably six fifteen thereabouts in the water before seven, um, and then ten thirty eleven something like that. I'm lying about that last one. It's probably later. I'm, yeah. I'm trying trying to appear healthier than I am. So. <laughs> I don't. I definitely don't get enough sleep. Who the fuck gets enough sleep? So yeah, let's just say ten thirty because that's that's a that's a reasonable answer. And, and David, okay. are you doing like uh, like the this for training and health, or is there is there things that you compete in uh, for the swimming, or is that something you've always done? Or? Uh, it's, it's 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 been both. So I would have been, you know, I would be one of those sort of like you know twenty hours in the pool kids. Uh, you know, swimming before school um, from the age of like seven to 18. So would have competed at national level and then kind of dropped that for a couple of years and then got back into the sea swimming. And I actually did a whole bunch of the, the Leinster open water swims there for a couple of years. So I trained with Erlingus Masters um, and I swam with them last year as well. I did the Liffey last year, which was great fun. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What, what, what year is it? 2020? Yeah. So I did, I did the, the 2019 Centenary Liffey, uh, which, was, which was great. I really enjoyed that. It's, it's, so it seems not like not specifically training for anything at the moment, um, but you know I'd get in and and, and and train or train I suppose just just do my own training session, you know, maybe four days a week. It's amazing. Like I I started swimming uh, at the, during lockdown, so I was looking for something to do. So I did. I was doing a training for the half Ironman with. Um, actually, did it on the podcast. We had the coach come on and all that type of stuff. Um, amazing. And the. So I, I, I didn't have too much experience with uh, swimming. Like I could swim. I grew up in Dunleary, so we used to jump in quite a lot and then get out. That was our mm. kind of swimming. But um, <laughs> So I never really like, swam. But uh, I remember my first uh, training session, I like crawled onto the beach coughing up seaweed. You know? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know yeah. how, how I'm going to do this. But it, out of the, the three things, the cycling, the running and the and the swimming, the swimming is what something that I've kept up since we've d- done the event because it it is so enjoyable to be in the in the water early in the morning or before work or i don't know yeah. there's something about it it's it's a powerful experience like you know um i, I think i, I for, for me i mean like there's loads of, of benefits directly related to to, to to swimming it's a wonderful exercise but there's for, for me the reason i actually got back into swimming properly rather than just the splashing every now and again is that in, in malahide and i'm sure this this is replicated in many many places around the country there is a group that swam and they still swim every twelve, uh, every Sunday at 12 o'clock, right? It's their church. And there's probably, there's a group of maybe 20, 30 people who will be there on any given day. And it's such a wide-ranging group of people. It's phenomenal. And I, I would struggle, challenge anybody to come up with a community who's involved in a physical exercise that spans just so many demographics, right? Like, you know, from, you know, men and women in, in their late 70s, you know, kids 
teenagers, you know, old fellas like myself, you know, and, and we're all there and really supportive of each other and just there because we want to be swimming together. And, and it's a wonderful thing. There's, and, and, and like, I really can't think of many other activities where you're doing something good for your body. You're doing something that connects you in with the community. And it's so egalitarian, you know. I mean, like, it costs nothing to jump in the sea, right? Well, you probably need, at this, this time of the year, you probably need a nice warm coat afterwards. Yeah. Uh, in, in a cup of tea. But it's, it's, it's a great leveler, jumping in the sea with somebody else. So. You're tempting me, lads. I could, I, could, me. I, could talk, I could talk for the rest of the day about sea swimming, guys. So you probably <laughs> should shut this down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to send you a picture later of me forcing Mark to get into the water here, uh, out there in the lake. Uh, so maybe next, next weekend. Okay. Here's one. How much money is enough money? How much money is enough money? Uh, that's a great question, guys. Uh, I don't. I, I don't. I don't have an answer for that. Uh, it's a hard one. I mean, like it's it, it's interesting, right? I mean, like you know, I've I've never been a sort of like you know, I need at least two personal private jets. You know, by the time <laughs> I'm I'm forty or fifty, I, I guess I've never thought about about um, finances like that. I never had a number in my head that I felt. And this is probably I probably should have, right? You know, because uh, I, have, I have a family and responsibilities now. But that was never something that motivated me. Was you know, you know, am I getting enough money for this? It's just like I just don't want to have to think about, you know, whether or not I have enough money. That sounds unbelievably privileged, as I said that out loud. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't have maybe a good answer to that one. It's a good question. Maybe that's the goal—to be privileged enough not to not to think about it. Because well, there you go. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you know, I don't. You be... know. To cover the basic needs, you know, Maslow's hierarchy, you know, so food, you know, safety, place to live, that kind of thing. But that can cost quite a lot of money. So it's interesting. People's answers are, are quite interesting, yeah. depending on yeah. where you live. I mean, it, it depends where you live and what your goals are, right? I mean, like, I, I, I would, if, if, if I felt that I was not doing something or I wasn't doing enough so that I was putting limits on the relationships around me, right? So if I wasn't doing enough so that my kids weren't getting the maximum oppor- you know, opportunity to, to grow and to learn and to have the experiences that they want to have, then I would feel that I didn't have enough money, right? So that for, for me, that that's, a, that, that that's an easy target. Like, you know, am I, am I enabling my kids or am I limiting my kids? Um, and, and, you know, that I, I think that would be a driver for me. That would be something that would trigger me to do something different. That's a good answer. That's a good yeah. answer. Okay, um, two more, right? Two more. Um, is it who you know or is it what you know? Who? Interesting. It's who. Yeah, because like, who has ever managed to do something meaningful entirely by themselves, no matter how much they understood about something, right? Like, you know, in, you know no matter how expert they were at doing something, you know, there's that terrible, terrible cliche, and I can't believe I'm saying this out loud, right? It's like no one is an island. You know, that's valid. It's a cliche for a reason because it applies it's universal to the human experience. You know, I could have what I feel is the best idea to do something, but I'm going to need people to come with me to do it, right? And 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 you have to interact with humans at some point, so you need to be able to reflect on how you interact with people. Um, otherwise, you're never going to be able to get anything done. You know, unless you're a sociopath, and you know yeah. that that hasn't gone down well in history for for sociopaths who thought that they were doing the right thing. Well, he might become president of America. You never know. <laughs> well, we said we wouldn't get political. Yeah. <laughs> 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 okay, last one. Um, if you could advise somebody to learn one skill, what would it be? Bah. I'd say this is going to sound very, uh, very arsy. And, and, you know, teenage me would have thought this was the most ridiculous answer to this question in the world. But I think self-awareness, you know, uh, if and, and it goes back to the point that I made at the very start about people who don't understand their assumptions or assumptions. So self-awareness being the, the power to be able to stop and reflect on what you've done yourself and go off. Oh, yeah, I did that again. You know, that's a, that's, a, that's a pattern that I fall into when I'm in that kind of a situation. And even if you just have the ability to stop and notice it, it doesn't mean that it has to be something that drives change for you, but the ability to notice how you behave, the ability to notice what your triggers are, the ability to say, this is a destructive way of coping with something, mm-hmm. that is an absolute superpower, I, th- I, I think. And it's, you know, it, it's something that I came to late. And, you know, you know I, I, th- I think I 
you know, probably walked this earth for 30 plus years with my head up my arse. You, you, you know, not 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 seeing my privilege and not seeing um, how lucky I had been to sort of like you know float so far. So you know, having 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 that self awareness, that ability to reflect, uh, is, is is I think it's something that you see somebody else having it straight away. You're like that is a person that knows themselves. That isn't a person who has an ability to understand why they're responding in a certain way, and you can spot them really quickly. Um, so I, th- I, I think, if anything, I would get people to think about that. Great answer. Great answer as well. So, David, we've had a great time having a chat with you today. Learned loads about the, the, the kind of early stage uh, venture startup stuff. I think a lot of people that are listening that, to this that have those ideas are better off for having heard this, which is great. That's kind of what the point is uh, about the podcast a lot of the time. Um, but we do have one very important question for you, and that is, would you, pref- would you prefer a shark t-shirt or a shark mug (laughs) (laughs) um t-shirt guys and i'll 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 wear it to the beach if if, uh, if, uh, if, that that's appropriate right absolutely appropriate oh there you go yeah Yeah. Uh, so we'll sort that out after the the pod uh david's thank you very much for coming along and having a chat with us uh saturday morning it's been uh it's been fabulous and we'll talk very soon it's been a a pleasure thanks so much guys thanks david cheers